Tell me how you all doing. Everything, everybody well? Good. I love you. Um, I've been really uh, agonizing over this message. <laughs> so, uh, and so far, the people in the first two services have been really kind. Um, they said it was okay. <laughs> That's true. In fact, someone just stopped me out there and said, go ahead, preach it again. And I, I, I will. Uh, but it's, I've agonized over it because it is controversial in a sense. It, sh- it shares two points of view concerning an issue that can be divisive within a church. And, and nobody wants that. I, nobody wants that. We want something to be of peace. We want grace. I, I believe our church, more than any other word that you can put into it, is a church of grace, God's unmerited favor. And I think I fall on that because I, des- I want God's grace so much. I mean, my, uh, if you knew my past, and like I said in the other services, I'd rather you didn't. But uh, if you did, you'd know that, that grace is incredibly important to me. God's unmerited favor, how he takes those things that are not useful as far as the world is concerned. And he takes it and he lifts it up and he, and he uses it within the confines of a church. He uses it within our lives so as to, to make an impact. It was really interesting. The, I said that kind of the first service. I mean, right now I'm off my notes, so I'm not sure I said the exact same thing, but similar. And after the service, a, a, a couple came up to me with their, their kids and I knew I'd recognize them. I, I, and, and they used to go to Yorbaland of Friends, and, and he was a missionary that we sent to, out to England. And I remember that. I remembered he played soccer, and, he, and I remembered that about him. And he was blown away that I, I remembered all of that. And uh, we got to visiting afterwards and, and just making mention how much the Word of God moved in their lives and impacted them to go out to be missionaries. And that um, the foundation that we laid over at... Uh, that your Belinda friends had, had really moved in, in and through their lives to do that. And now they're back living in the States and he's living in Ohio. And, and, his, and I, met, I met his son, his good look, I mean his good looking son. And he said, you dedicated him to the Lord. And we had a dedication uh, service, the first service. Um, a, a young, uh, we dedicated uh, uh, Todd and Carrie Ann to their daughter Taylor and uh, the church to Taylor that we would all be a part of that and and they remembered that vividly and he didn't the young boy didn't now he's a grown young man good looking kid and uh, just it was a nice family and it was such a great union and 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 uh, John the, the, him and his wife started to tell me how much uh, a difference we made in his life and I said nah I, I can't take any credit for that uh, none whatsoever I said, that's the word of God. And, and you'll see by what we preach today, that's so truthful. That is so real. God's grace is amazing. And what Paul is talking about here in this place in Scripture is divisive for some. It's, it's talking about election. Have you ever heard that word? Or um, reform theology versus free will or Arminianism. And, and which are we? Well... I'll tell you up front what I'm going to tell you during the message. I'm not certain. I, there's, there's a tendency in my heart that, that I, I trust God in everything in my life. There's, there's no doubt about that. But back when I accepted the Lord, 
I knew very little about the Bible. I knew very little about anything about church. Uh, I didn't go to church very much. I knew nothing about the Bible. I didn't know the book of Revelation from the book of Genesis. I, I didn't know. But I knew one thing for certain. I knew that I was, if I were to die, I was going to go to hell if there was such a place. I tried to reason in my heart that there was no hell. That was the only, only hope I think I had. And so I tried to reason. There's no hell. There's uh, death. And so uh, I was convinced by, a, uh, by someone who shared the gospel to me that, that God wanted to forgive me all my sin. And so with that in mind, I, uh, I, on March the 12th, 1973, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I remember I looked up at the clock, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I asked him to forgive me of my sin. I've asked him, I asked him to make me into the type of man that he had created me to be. I asked him to do with me as he so desired. And then I got scared to death, thinking, oh my gosh, what if I can't live up to what I've just said to God? And uh, I, as I grew in my faith, and as I grew as a, a man that wanted to study the Bible and learn about the Bible, I, I realized that I would never be able to live up to all of that. I, God had to move in my life, and God had to deal with me. And the more and more I got to understand God, the more and more I realized that God was in control of all of my, I am, all that I've done, everything about me. And so if you put me in a corner and you said, John, what do you believe? Do you believe in election, or do you believe in free will? And if there's two boats and they're both going out, I would jump into the boat of election. The, the reason being is, as I've learned, I've learned that that I'm, I'm not God. God is. And I know that out of the book of Ephesians, for instance, it tells me that I was dead. Dead meaning unable to respond. I was dead in my trespasses and in my sin. And God made me alive together with Christ His Son. But to put me in a corner and to say, John, what about free will? I, I, I'd always fall back on the time when I came to Christ. I, I believed with all of my heart that was a decision I made because I wanted to follow the Lord so desperately. I wanted everlasting life. So which is it? I don't know for sure. And so what I'm going to do is try to teach both sides of this coin, if I may. And you being an adult and you being a, a, a person that have your own Bible that you can... Consider for yourself, which is it for you? But don't allow yourself to fall into a place where you are so convinced it is this that you have no compassion for those who are that. Have compassion, have grace upon all of us so that we would love one another. Jesus said, I've given you guys a new, disciple, a new commandment. He says, I want you to love one another, even as I have loved you, he says in John chapter 13, verse 34, 35, or 36, right in there. Even as I have loved for you, so you should have love for one another. That's what the church is really all about. In the process, we'll learn what we know. That's why in my Bible, I write everything in pencil. I don't write anything in ink, because when I learn more and I, and I understand that I've been following after something that isn't completely 100% true, I, I erase it and I, I, I replace it with the truth as far as I know and, and learn it and study it. And that's what I'd ask you to do. And so Paul is attacking this issue. And that's why I said to you a couple of weeks ago, studying chapters 9, 10, and 11 is not an easy task because 
there are very few commentaries that really delve into this subject because it's controversial. And so they don't want to be controversial. They don't want to, to stir the waters and, and to upset people, except for two of the people that I happen to know personally and absolutely adore, attack it full on. And I knew they would. That's Dr. J. Vernon McGee and Dr. John MacArthur. Now, Dr. John MacArthur is a hardcore Reformed theologian, but you'll be shocked at what he says in his commentary. At least I was. Dr. J. Vernon McGee is a man of grace. He wants to teach about where the rubber meets the road. You know, you've heard him. If you've not, you've missed a great blessing in your life. He's dead, but his, his tapes, his um, messages go on and on and on. And they're, they're, as, they're as current today as when he did it years ago. That's the Word of God. So anyways, what I want to do is to, to show you both sides. And I want you and me to, to make a decision on our own so that we, we can understand what we believe. Here's why. And I've said this to you before. I've always asked to move out of the way. I've always asked the Lord, please let me not interfere with what you want to teach us out of this, your word. And I'm going to make mention of that today out of Isaiah chapter 55. I've always asked that. And the reason I do is because I believe with all of my heart, when you, you, when we make a decision on our own, not feeling forced by the preacher, God forbid that you would feel that I forced you into a decision. I want you to feel the very presence of God. And when you feel the very presence of God and you make a decision on your own that you feel is between you and God, it will stand it will hold it true. If it's a decision that I've helped you make or that I've coerced you into making when trouble hits or when I mess up, and I will because I'm a human, you'll have a tendency to want to fall away. But if you make a decision that you feel is between you and God, I think then you'll have a tendency to hold on to it tightly and really treat it as it ought to be treated. And that is with with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, to just love Him. Now, with that in mind, I want to make a couple of things that I really want to tell you. One's very, very personal, and it's, and it's personal to you too, I think, for those of you who know Him. But the first thing is, we have prayer meetings. We have prayer meetings on Monday night. I don't want you to miss it. If, if you can make it, on Monday nights we meet here between 7 and 8.30 in the, what we call the cafe, right across the hall. You bring your whole family. You don't have to pray. You can just be a part. You can just kind of sense what's going on. Pray silently if you want to, but, but join in if you want to. Come, young people as well as older. Mondays, tomorrow, 7 to 8.30 in the evening. In between the services, we have at 9 and here at 11, we meet in room 111 for a time of prayer, praying for the service, praying for each other, praying for whatever it is you need. It's in room 111. It's, if you went out this door, it'd be to the right. If you want to come early next week, come early, have breakfast. Oh my gosh, we have the great breakfast. Uh, we have the best cooks in town. I think we have the best cooks in town. They make the best bacon and eggs that you can ever get. Tony's a little stingy. He didn't give me all the bacon I wanted, but that's, I'm still working on it. 
Nah, I'm teasing. Come for breakfast, but if, if you come early too, you can come and then go in and, and pray in between the services. That would be kind. Both Doug and Kathy Renault, who are heading up our prayer ministry, say that we want to be called a house of prayer, and I agree with them. They quoted out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they, they say that those that came to Christ devoted themselves to four things, the apostles' teachings, which we do here, to fellowship, which we try to do here with all of our hearts, to the breaking of bread, that's having communion. We will be doing that more frequently, and also to prayer. And so we would love for us to be a church that prays for one another. So be a part. Second thing I want to tell you was amazing, a miracle, in my opinion, a miracle. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Doc Stroman. Remember Doc Stroman? For those of you that don't know him, he's a wonderful man. You're going to get to know him. <laughs> I'll tell you why. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a blessed man to me in my life. He's been very, he's been very kind and very important. Anyways, uh, a couple weeks ago, they, he had a heart. He texted me. We're on the way to the, the hospital. We're going to get the new heart. And so they go in. They prep him. By that, they, they get him all scrubbed down. They, they do everything they have to do to get him ready. It took him a, a, almost a full day because, you know, having a heart transplant is no small thing. So when they went to Sacramento to get the heart, the, the, the doctors that went found out that it wasn't the right heart. It wasn't right. So they, they phoned back and said, we won't be able to, to use this heart. We'll have to wait for a further time. Well, Friday night, I get a text. About 10 in the evening, Doc says, I'm back, going back to the hospital. They found another heart. So he went back in. They scrubbed him down. They did everything, and they operated on him. It was the right heart. They operated on him for 13, 14, I don't know, 12, 13 hours. I don't know. He has his new heart. Yesterday, I'm preparing for the message. I'm sitting up in my, minding my own business, sitting up in the office up there, and I do some underlining and some stuff before I come to preach. And It's about 10 minutes to 5, and the, my phone rings. And I always leave it on in case it's my wife or some family or something. And I pick it up, and, it's, and Doc says, Hi, John. I went, It's you. He sounded normal. I said, did you not get the heart? He said, oh, it went great. He said, I'm just calling you to encourage you to preach the word. Where are you? I mean, he's starting to encourage me. He's just gotten out of surgery just that day. And he just, he, they said he's just doing great. His color, well, listen to what his daughter texted me. Listen to what she wrote. I'm going to verbatim. His daughter, Tricia, wrote, his functions are good. His numbers are good. His spirits are wonderful. And his new heart, he knows who to love. Isn't that sweet? He knows who to love with his new heart. And so Doc's doing good, and he told me yesterday as he talked to me, and in fact he texts me, we text each other now, and I know, two older men texting each other. We, we're cool. <laughs> and uh, he texts me, and he says he's going to be in church pretty soon. When he does, I'm going to... I'm gonna, I'm going to walk him forward. I want you to see a walking miracle. Uh, God did, I dealt with him. So that's what I wanted to tell you. I wanted to tell you about a prayer. And he told me that he knows, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was prayer that made him through, got him through all of this. It was prayer. So Doug and Kathy, thank you. Church, thank you. Um, I love you very much. Look with me at 
at Romans chapter 9. Let's get into this place in Scripture. I want to read to you from verse 14 to verse 21. We won't dwell much on verses 14, 15, and 16. We want to talk about verses 19, 20, and 21 more than anything. But I want you to sense what's going on. In verse 14, Paul is reasoning with the people concerning, is God fair or isn't He? Which is it? And so he says in verse 14, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Testing, one, two, three, that's on. Let me see if I can put that back there. Thanks, Daniel. You've never seen a guy more faithful than that young man, Daniel. You probably don't even know who he is. You probably never even seen him. He is so amazingly faithful. He has been been in the tech booth since day one. And uh, he and Glenn and the others who work the tech booth are just amazing. So, Daniel, thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. So did, you, did we hear the whole, what I read and all of that stuff so far? Okay. I haven't prayed yet. Let's just do that. But I, think, I said to you that there is a, there is a problem for some. Not, there isn't a problem biblically. There is a problem for some, and it is verses 18 and 19. And the word is hardened. If God has hardened Pharaoh's heart, The natural response is verse 19. Then why does he still find fault with Pharaoh? Make sense? Yes, humanly speaking, but not biblically. Because, as you're going to find out, as I found out this week studying, God never found fault with Pharaoh's heart. Not not to the degree that he, he hardened it. I'll teach you that. No, the Lord Paul will. Father, please... 
open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Thank you, Father, for the blessings in this church. Thank you for the blessings of the people, those that cook the meals that we have, the prayer warriors, uh, just all the things that we do, Father, those that do the worship music and, and having uh, Mark come on and, and joining for the first time. It's just exciting to see what you're doing in our midst, Father. We are a blessed group of people. And so I want to thank you so much. Uh, I thank you for friends that come back and visit, that, that uh, friends that I've known for and not seen for years and others that I hadn't seen for a few months and and such a blessing to see her and uh, all that she's meant to our church as far as the children's ministry goes and different things. So bless them, Father. Bless us all. And now, Father, would you please move me aside so that I do not interfere with this very important place in Scripture. Use your wonderful Apostle Paul and what he wrote. And, Father, use the very essence of the Holy Spirit that fills us, us and fills this place so that he might teach us what we need to know. Father, we trust in you. We do that in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. So, Paul's talking about God. Is he fair or is he not? That's what verse 14 is all about. Is there an injustice with God? Well, Paul answers, may that never be. Paul had just, though, reminded the readers in verses 6 through 13 that God sovereignly chose different people. He chose Sarah over Hagar. He chose Isaac over Ishmael. He chose Jacob over Esau before they were born when they were in their mother's womb. None of those, though, were chosen or rejected because of who they were or what they would become or what they had done or what they were going to do. They were chosen, we are told, purely verse 11, by him, God, who calls. So Isaac and Jacob, not Ishmael and Esau, became, as verse 8 taught us in this chapter, the children of God's promise. With that in mind, the human response of verse 14 was to assume that God therefore chose unjustly because he chose one over the other long before they would have an opportunity to either reject him or trust him, before they could be obedient or disobedient, before they could even prove their worth. There is a problem with that. The problem is what Paul wrote to us in chapter 3. We have some, sometimes a, a tendency to have a, a kind of a poor memory the catch is, is if any of us could ever justify our own selves in who we are. In chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, Paul says, among other things, he says, there is none of us who are righteous, not even one. He says in verse 12, there is not a one of us that does good, not even one. And so for them to reason... Why did God choose them before they could have done any good? The real issue is they would have never done good had God not chosen them. So Paul rhetorically asks them, is there an injustice with God? In other words, do we have the right to accuse God of being unjust? 
Well, do we? Paul responds, may that never be. The words he uses, M-E-G-E-N-O-I-T-O in the Greek, it's, it's the strongest Greek negative that he could have possibly used. He says, no, emphatically, no way may it never be. What Paul is going to teach us here is, is something through, uh, he uses the example of a potter with a lump of clay. And he is saying that the clay cannot get into the heart and the idea of the potter because the clay has no right to tell the potter what it ought to do with the, with the clay. That's the potter's decision and choice. What he is saying is that you and I cannot get into the deeper thoughts of God. But nonetheless... What he is teaching us throughout all of this book, the book of Romans, is that we can trust God to act in and with complete justice and fairness to all of us. In Isaiah chapter 55, we mentioned it last week, gives us a, not a, not, I said a hint, but more than a hint, gives us a reason why we can't completely understand all of God. I, I'm going to ask you to turn to a few places today. This one in particular, if you don't mind. Uh, Hold your place here in Romans chapter 9. If you turn to the middle of the Old Testament, that would be the book of Psalms. Isaiah chapter 55 is to the right. If you get to the book of Psalms, you'll go past the book of Proverbs, and then Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and then, mm, what is after Ecclesiastes? Song of Solomon, then there is the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is kind of a big book. So look for the 55th chapter of the book of Isaiah, would you please? It's a great place in Scripture. As a matter of fact, I want to indulge you. I want to speak a little bit about verse 11. Verse 11 has nothing to do with uh, understanding the very thoughts of God. But verse 11 is everything that I stand on as a man that tries to teach the Word of God. First things first, let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6. Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. In other words, Isaiah is saying to you and me, don't put off what God is asking you to do. Don't don't sense the Lord moving in your life and push him off for a, a a more opportune time. Seek him while he can be found, Isaiah says. Then he says, let, verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he, God, will have compassion on you, and God will abundantly pardon you. That's a great verse, verse 7. Verse 6 and 7 tells you when you feel that the Lord is moving in your life, don't push Him away. Seek Him while He is near, while He could be found. And then forsake those, those wicked and unrighteous ways. Return to the Lord. He'll have compassion on you. He will abundantly pardon you. Now listen as God proclaims in verses 8 and 9. Here's what God says. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts 
higher than your thoughts. Now, since we are here, I do want to look at verse 11 for a moment. Because verse 11 speaks to everything I stand upon as a man that tries to teach the Word of God. And this is one of the very reasons that I asked the Lord to move me out of the way so that you and I might behold wonderful things. That's out of Psalms 119. Wonderful things from the Word of God. And so that He might move me aside so that you and I might hear His Word. Listen to what He says about His Word. I love it. God says, verse 11, My Word which goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty. In other words, it will not return to the Father without accomplishing what He desires and without succeeding in the manner for which He has sent it. In other words, God's Word does as God wishes, period. That is exactly why I try to teach the Word of God as I do. I want you to hear from these words, not mine. I want you to be able to read these words so that you can make a decision as a grown adult on your own to understand and to know what God is asking of you when He asks of you something so that you might follow Him with all of your heart and not follow a preacher. And so what we've learned here in Isaiah is that we are to seek the Lord while He may be found we are to forsake our wicked ways, our unrighteous ways, and we are to return to Him, and He'll have compassion on us. He will abundantly pardon us. And His ways are not ours. So, with that in mind, we get into the issue of Romans chapter 9. Election, free will, which is it? That's what Paul is addressing. Now, Dr. J. Vernon McGee states within his commentary concerning this place in Scripture, the whole issue of election and free will. In a nutshell, election is God does the choosing for us. We have no voice in the matter. Free will is we do the choosing. We move towards God because of what we sense in our hearts. Now, some teach that a person has no say over their decision of salvation. That's, that's all up to God and He alone. While others teach that we have a choice in the matter. We can come to God as a decision on our own. I've told you already, on March the 12th, 1973 in Honolulu, I, on my own will, in my own opinion, I fell to the, 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 the the, right beside my bed in the, the place that I lived in, in, in Waikiki and I asked Jesus Christ into my heart fully aware of what I was doing at the time. Not understanding the scope of it, just sensing that it was my decision to, to try to come to Christ. That was important for me. In fact, I, I, to this day, I have it written down in the back of my Bible. I have written down... Uh, uh, I began, uh, no, no, I came to Jesus Christ on March the 12th, 1973 at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Hawaii. That's important to me, especially in my youth, uh, younger in the Lord, when I used to doubt whether, well, am I really saved? Would, would, a real, would a saved person act the way I just acted? I would turn back sometimes to the back page in my Bible and say, yeah, I accepted the Lord. I'm a Christian. It was in Hawaii, March the 12th. 
1973, it was important for me to nail that date down so that I knew in whom I believed and in whom I stood upon. So, which is it? Is it election or free will? Truthfully, I don't know for certain. I don't. Dr. J. Vernon McGee teaches us this. You cannot avoid the doctrine of election along with the doctrine of free will. It's all over chapter 9. Paul is teaching us this here. And then Dr. McGee, in his commentary, says this. I find that both doctrines to be true and valid. I didn't believe that. I didn't think he was going to say that. He fell on both sides. I'm not saying I'm Dr. J. Vernon McGee, but that's where I've been for years. I can't, I can't escape the fact. Did I already tell you because I'm about the boats? Yeah, okay, so I did that. I, I, if, if I had to jump in a boat, I'd jump into that one because I know that I'm not God. I know that He is, and I know that He loves me. I have no trouble with the fact that He dragged me by the, the collar, so to speak, and, and pulled me down by my bed and made me pray. I have no trouble with that. But I have no trouble with the fact that I, I rolled over on my own and, and, and asked Him in my heart. I was so aware of what I did. I, I even looked up at the, at the, you know, the radio, clock radio you have by a bed that wakes you up and all that stuff. And I, I looked at it what time it was. I wanted to know what did I do and at what time did I do it. So I have no trouble with this, what Dr. McGee says. I believe as Dr. McGee teaches, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord my God, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord my God. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The one thing I know that you and I can know for certain is what I tried to pound into us the last couple of weeks, and that's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We can know for certain that God causes all things to work together for good to those of us who love the Lord our God and to those of us who are called according to His purpose. His purpose. I know that for certain. Now I've tried to teach chapter 9 the last three weeks with as much integrity as I know how. But being 100% certain between election and free will, I've got to be honest with you. I've got to be transparent. I don't know for certain. I don't. The one thing I know for sure is that I can trust God. I know that He has His best in mind for you and for me. And when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to salvation, I know that He wishes for none of us to perish, but for all of us to come to eternal life. How do I know that? Well, because the Bible tells me this. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And if you, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to, to underline it. Now somebody told me something last night that I've, I've never said to you, but I've done, I did when I was in Dr. Jack MacArthur's church back in Eugene, Oregon. I had my first Bible. Kay bought me a Bible. Got it leather bound, the whole nine yards. And, and I had my own Bible. I never had a Bible. I never went to church where you had to take a Bible and open it up. And when Dr. J. Vernon McGee would say, turn to Deuteronomy, and I'd say, yeah, where's that? And I couldn't find Deuteronomy for anything. Then he was, before I'd find Deuteronomy, he's over in 1 John. And I'd say, what's 1 John? Where's, and I, I was missing most of the message. And last night a guy came to me and said, you know, I didn't 
turn my Bible. He said, last night I forgot my Bible. I didn't bring it in church. And he says, I got to hear every word you said. I like that better, he said. And I used to do that. What I used to do, just so that I wouldn't look like a nerd with all the people around me, I'd pretend like I was moving my Bible. I'd look at my wife's paper. No, paper. I'd look at my wife's Bible and see if she was going to the front or the back, and I would pretend I was doing that, and I would hold it real close together so no one could see, but I didn't do it. I'd write down the verse, and then I'd look at it after church. I'd find those verses and read it then. And I got to listen to Dr. Jack MacArthur, which was a privilege, an honest privilege to listen to that man preach. And so don't feel like you have to find every place all the time, but do look at it so that you can read it yourself and if need be, underline in your own Bible. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, about God wishing for none of us to perish. Peter says, the Lord, verse 9, 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you. In other words, we want God to act when we want him to act. We want him to do what we want him to do now. And don't worry, he's not slow. He will get to it. He's not slow as some would count slowness. But he is patient towards you. Now watch the rest of verse 9. He is not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I want you to think about this for a moment. If God has already elected you and you and me, then why would He have even worry about when we're going to come to Christ? We're going to come to Christ. It's not a big deal. Why would He say in there, He is not slow, as some count slowness, But he's patient towards you. He's not wishing for you to perish. He's wishing that all of you would come to repentance. I have a tendency to trust Peter, who wrote this, more than I do ever these newer theologians that that have points of view about election and free will. I believe Peter is sharing with us that our God doesn't wish for any of us to perish, for all of us to come to repentance. The truth of Scripture, as taught by Paul, is this. All of us are sinful. Therefore, none of us have been treated unjustly. If God chooses to condemn, that's His right. But God's mercy towards us is a pure display of His amazing grace. His unmerited favor poured out upon our lives. His grace is all over us. So Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 1 through 8 that God chooses, but it must be confirmed by our faith. He taught that through Abraham. I want you to see it. Would you go back to Romans chapter 9 if you're not there and then flip back to chapter 4 for just a minute in Romans. Romans chapter 4, Paul uses Abraham and David to explain the very essence of faith. Basically, because of Abraham and David, he is speaking to all all the saints of old. Paul writes in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Romans 
What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham, Paul writes, was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. No, for what does Scripture teach us? Verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Paul taught that Abraham's faith is what moved him to be a righteous person. He believed God at God's word. Now let me give you a for instance. This is key. Back to Romans chapter 9. Because the key to this is the word hardened. When it says God has mercy, that word means compassion. When God has compassion on whom He desires, it also says that God hardens whom He desires. Now here is where is there a problem for some. It's all over the word hardened. When Scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it really simply means that God forced Pharaoh to make a decision that was already in his heart. Let me give you another example. When the Lord said to Judas, when Judas was going to betray the Lord, the Lord said to Judas after the supper, he says, go, do what you are going to do, what? Quickly. Go do it. He didn't make him do it. He just forced him to do what was already in his heart. So God forced Pharaoh to make a decision that was his already, moving him, Pharaoh, to do what was his own heart's desire. God didn't make him, didn't make him do those things. Pharaoh was going to do it anyways. God did make Pharaoh do it on God's timetable, though. That for certain you can know. So when it says harden, the word in the Greek, the word in the Greek is S-K-L-E-R-U-N-O. It means to render stubborn or obstinate. And so from Exodus chapter 8 and Exodus chapter 9, in this whole scenario of, of uh, Pharaoh hardening his heart, it says in Exodus chapter 8 verse 32, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. This time he did not let God's people go. In chapter 9, verse 34, it says, When Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder stop, when it ceased thundering, hailing, and all of that, it said, Then Pharaoh sinned again and hardened his heart. God didn't do it. Pharaoh did it. God just forced Pharaoh to make the move. So that's an issue. So if you and I think that God moves and hardens certain people's hearts and softens other people's hearts, that's not true. All God does is reveal what was in your heart anyways. Very important to understand. Very important. Otherwise, you'll ask the question which Paul now tries to answer for the people in verse 19. You're going to say to me, says in verse 19, Romans chapter 4, to nine. You will say then to me, why does God still find fault? Look, if he hardened Pharaoh's heart, then how does God blame Pharaoh? Who's going to resist the will of God? Paul writes. 
They ask, how can a human being be held responsible? How can a human being be blamed for their unbelief or their sin when their destiny has already been divinely determined? And Paul says, no. Paul says, no. And he uses the potter and the, and the clay to make his example. We ought to know this for sure. God has elected you and me in His own time and in His own way. He has brought you and me to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. But, but, on the other hand, it is also taught that we have our own human will and our own faith in the part of salvation. And both Dr. J. Vernon McGee and my hero of heroes, John MacArthur, write and use this verse as an example. It is John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus Christ clearly said, All that the Father gives to me shall come to me. That's the choice of God's will moving upon a person's heart. All that the Father gives will come to me, says Jesus. But then Jesus goes on and changes it and says, And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And both Dr. J. Vernon McGee and Dr. John MacArthur say, John MacArthur say that the choice here is man's own free will, which God graciously allows for all who choose to come to believe in His Son. God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. And to try to understand them, we won't be able to comprehend. So Paul, Paul turns back to Romans chapter 9 to verse 20. And he turns the question back on those who would question the Lord. On the contrary, he says in verse 20, who are you to answer back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? In other words, how, who are you to question God? Who are you to hold God accountable? Now, Paul says it's obvious that the one who is asking the question in verse 20 is not seeking God's truth, but they are seeking self-justification. In other words, they're attempting to excuse their own unbelief, their own rebellion, and try to excuse or accuse, accuse God instead, instead of accusing themselves. It's a whole victimization type of thing, you know. Not my fault. He did it. Same thing. Because our understandings of God is so limited, even the sincere question about God's sovereign election over God's choice of man's free will ultimately must go, for some, unanswered. Now I know there's some that, that firmly believe, I mean dogmatically believe it's one way, and, and, and that's caused some division, even in churches or even families, it, 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 it's hard to, for, to, to some, it's just hard. And I have no problem with it. I get it. But as I've already noted to you, two, pro, the, two of the best teachers of the Word of God that I know of, Dr. J. Vernon McGee and Dr. John MacArthur, say that you must accept both sides of this as good teachers have come to agree to disagree until more evidence is shown within one's life. And as I said to you already, some of you are going to say, I, I get it. I believe in election. I, I don't have a problem with it. 
And others of you are going to say, I believe in choice. I believe that there's a, a, a time where a, a person must make that decision on their own. And, and which is it? I don't know for certain. I don't. If I had to jump in a boat, I'm going into the election. Only because I know I'm not God. But on March the 12th, 1973, I believe with all of my heart, I made a decision to come to Christ. Which is it? I don't know. I believe God will tell me in heaven if it's important. If not, he'll just say, welcome home. See, Paul continues to rebuke against any division by showing the absurdity of one questioning the will of God. Look what he says in verse 21. It's, it's, it's amazing. And then I want to take you to one place. Um, I, I think I'll, I'll finish pretty close to on time. He says in verse 21, Does not the potter have the right over the clay? To make from the same lump one vessel for honorable and the other for common? Which are we, honorable or common? There's a cross-reference for this that is absolutely perfect. Answers it to a T. Turn with me. This is where we're going to close. You can hold your place in Romans for next week, but turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, we were in Peter just a while ago. If you keep going to the left... You'll find First James, then Hebrews, and then I think you'll find after Hebrews, uh, Titus, me, then Second Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter two. It's one of my favorite places in the Word of God. I know I say that too much, but I, it just this place is unbelievable. In Second Timothy, the writer says, verse nineteen. Nevertheless, verse nineteen. The firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are His. Well, Jesus Christ has already told us that. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, and they follow me. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. In other words, let's straighten our lives out. Let's, let's make our lives right before the Lord. And now the writer, I believe it's Paul, gives us an example in verse 20. He says, Now in a large house... There are not only gold and silver vessels, but there are also vessels of wood and earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Well, we just read a little while ago in Romans, there are some that are for honorable use and some for common use. Which are we? Now, when I read verse 20 a long time ago, I thought automatically that the gold and the silver vessels were vessels for honor. And the wood and the earthenware, those were vessels for dishonor. Just seemed natural to me. But if you'll note here, the writer does not mention which vessel is for honor and which vessel is for dishonor until we get to verse 21. Look, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, cleanse himself what do we know about cleanse ourselves? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, it says, If anybody cleanses himself, confesses their sin, that person will be a vessel for honor sanctified, set apart, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. 
You see what it is? It's not whether you're silver or gold or whether you're wood or earthenware. It is whether you confess and cleanse yourself that is the issue here. Make yourself right before God. Be useful for every good work so that He might use you. I used to think it was gold and silver. It's not. It's those that deal with their sin. God will make all of us honorable. And that's a tough lesson for me because I always see everything half empty. And so it was difficult for me to ever think of myself as gold or silver. I automatically saw myself as wood or earthenware or even less than that. But that's not the truth of it. The truth of it is which among us cleanse ourselves to be useful for the Master. Paul says, whether you be of the free will bent or election bent, that's not the issue. The issue is cleansing yourself. The issue is being right before God, dealing with your sin. Our Lord God loves you so much. In my heart of hearts, I can't imagine why this must be an issue. But it is. Every commentary said it is. I don't think it is. I don't. Grace is the issue. Love is the issue. Where's your heart? Look, as Isaiah said, if you sense the, the Lord is near, seek Him when He can be found. If you hear Him speaking to your heart, let Him deal with you right now. Don't put it off. Accept who He is. Cleanse it yourself. Be useful to the Master. What does that mean? I don't know. God will use you today somehow, some way. I don't know how. I have already had two people tell me that I've, I changed their lives, and I had told them immediately I had nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. It was all the Lord. It's all the Lord. But the good part is that they were kind enough to say that I had a part. That's a good thing. That's a good thing for all of us. We can do that. Doug, would you help us close in prayer? I'd love for you to. Last night, before Doug closes us in prayer, I was, uh, I love you. Um, this is, the, he and his wife are the, are the, are the people that are our prayer warriors, but that's not why I asked them to pray for us right now. Last night, there was a young man here that I saw a few weeks ago that, was singing and just lifting his hands unto the Lord and just having the greatest time. And I had never seen him here before. He was kind of new. So I went up to him afterwards and I introduced myself. His name was Donald. And that last night after the message, just all over me, it was like asking to pray, asking to pray. And when I asked him, I got scared to death because I didn't know if he could pray at all. I didn't know if he'd say no to me or what. And he prayed. And if you were here, oh my gosh, he was, I mean, he brought heaven right down to this room. In fact, when he was through, everybody applauded. And so I, I followed the Lord, and I was right. It was kind of a nice thing, and I'm doing the same thing with you. Pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you want to use each and every one of us, Father. Amen. Yes, Father. Thank you that you make a way for us, Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ, the yes, blood of Christ, Jesus. that cleanses us from all sin. And Father, we pray that you would just continue to open our eyes to how you would use us. Father, we pray that you would give us your wisdom, your peace, your strength, 
We ask, Lord, that you would truly make this a house of prayer for Amen. all nations. Yes, Father. We pray, Lord, that you'd gift or you'd show each and every one their gift, that they might be usable, meet for the master's use, Father. And we thank you for the love you've put in this place. We give you all the glory in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.